Welcome to NavChat, the show for the New Zealand orienteering and navigation sports community. Hey Tom, welcome back to NavChat. How was your time over summer? Good, good. Very busy. I missed the last episode. I have had a um, very busy summer of recreation. Not, yep. um, I could say it was because I was working, but I've actually had quite a lot of time off. So I've been pretty lucky. Spent a bit of time in the hills, uh, mainly more adventure racing oriented rather than orienteering. Yep. Um, been trying out these sort of compasses instead. What is that? Yeah, I know. Filthy, eh? Filthy, Filthy. base plate compass. Look, it even, look, you can even turn the... the no, you can no, even no, take, no. <laughs> you can <laughs> even take number that. bearings on it. Yeah, so I'm... That's me. Um, you've lost... You've maybe lost me, but... Really? That's, uh, that's, so you're out there with the, uh, the topo maps in the, in the hills. Yep. Just learning to love the filth that is a topo map. Um, yep. The complete lack of accuracy, the generalization. So, yeah, yep. that's learning to love the topos yeah. um been also dabbling in a bit of non-running based like conditioning training trying to like see off some niggly injuries okay with some rehab exercise oh yeah which i've been i've kind of uh put dipped my dipped my toes into over the years but never really committed to and we'll see i've got uh i've got some input from uh physio who's gonna He's got big plans, so we'll, okay. we'll see what this year holds in terms of a journey, in terms of um, some strength and conditioning and all this. Yeah, we'll yeah, it it's, it's definitely a rough balance. And coming off not having strength and conditioning in your routine, it's a pretty rough awakening. Uh, adding it in, uh, especially if you start Good. doing leg strength, then like that's actually quite a stress on the muscles that you're already working when you're running and when you're on the bike. It's both incredibly hard and yet doesn't feel like training. So I don't quite yet know how to make of it. And, you know, mentally you feel like you should be doing X amount of training a week. Um, and I don't quite know how to factor this in. Mm. Um, how about you? You, I think, have done a bit more orienteering than me. Yeah, absolutely. So December we had that training camp that uh, just had me fizzing on orienteering, getting out there with the under 23 squad. Uh, that was really good, I think, for my uh, navigation technique. And for my headspace, whereabouts, going whereabouts, in, whereabouts were you guys? Uh, Palmerston North. Uh, we were based in Palmy oh. and uh, went out to the Kapiti Coast and did some of the sand dune pine forests out there. And I was feeling feeling quite good actually. We then went to Riverhead uh, Forest in Auckland just to destroy my confidence just in time to hit Oceania. <laughs> uh, went went and ran the middle distance from Riverhead Orienteering Weekend that uh, we missed out on uh, in kind of the last uh, portion of, of last year maybe October or something that was held September and that was that was nothing, very nothing very like tough. a riverhead nothing like the green and riverhead to just ruin your confidence make you feel like you don't know how to orient here. absolutely absolutely I did some had a rough time uh, anyway I brushed that off and had a really good time at the uh, not Oceania championships and associated was it, was races it not, was it was it not Oceania was it I liked I quite liked Oceania. Yeah, I, yeah a, I don't know where I that came in. I started noticing that on, maybe it was just the control descriptions. They all said Foceania. Uh, yeah, I, them, I, 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 snig- I was sniggering to myself on the start line. I thought that was quite funny. Uh, yeah, yeah, not Oceania is good, Foceania. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought that was sneaky. Yeah. I, any the, the highlights one... from the week? Like any, like what course stood out to you? 
well, they definitely saved the, the best areas for the uh, Oceania uh, middle and long distance. Uh, they, were, they were stunning. Uh, the relay was also super fun. And mm. uh, the, the, the prologue middle, the warm-up middle was also great. So Sounds like half the races. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 those were the, the core ones for me. And, of course, we're going to take a look at uh, a lot of those today. Um, we are. We indeed. Yeah. In fact, shall we crack in? We've got an interview. You spoke to Ronan Lee, who is one of the up-and-coming, well, he's 20 now. He's a, he's a senior. Mm-hmm. Just makes me feel old. But yeah, you caught up with Ronan and found out some he mentioned it as if it was nothing, but found out something about his running ability that I was rather impressed by. <laughs> yeah. I remember bumping into Ronan when he was maybe 14 or something. He was like at school, uh, maybe 16. Uh, and he was yeah, this like young, young kid in the Hawkspace singlet hooning around. Uh, he was pretty quick back then also, but you just never know whether um, those people are going to stick around or what they're going to do. But now Ronan loves orienteering and he also loves track and Combining those two can be pretty pretty lethal, and he's yeah moving up to senior, the senior grades, and just seems to to love it. And yeah, I got a good chance to travel with him in the South Island, uh, which was cool. Ooh, so let's, um, let's hear a bit of your chat for, with Ronan, and yeah. uh, we'll catch back up afterwards. Yeah, let's have a listen. Uh, hey, Ronan, thanks for coming on Nav Chat. All good. Good to meet you, Gene. <laughs> Yeah, so it was nice traveling with you over the uh, the time we spent in the South Island uh, at Oceania. And yeah, it was cool just reflecting on the experience that you've had going up from the junior junior ranks to the uh, kind of senior elite level. And of course, I did that transition as well some years ago. And yeah, I just liked hearing you know your, your story a little bit. So just remind us well, where, where you're from and what's your how, how old are you currently? Um, I'm currently just turned 20, um, and I'm, I orient, I orient here for Hawke's Bay and, um, yeah, so it's my first year in the, uh, 21 elites. Yeah. Uh, would you have done 21 elites last year? Has like COVID pushed that back a little bit? No, it okay. still would have been 20. So it's first year. Yeah, and how did you enjoy competing? So you you lost your like last year as a junior that kind of got shaved off. Yeah, yeah. So how was how how was your time spent like as a junior? Did you feel like you were um, kind of growing towards that junior elite level? Uh, how was that for you? Were you competitive competitive as as a junior? Like when did you start taking orienteering kind of in a competitive way? Oh, yeah, I was reasonably competitive. Like, I was always sort of reasonably up there in the junior elites. So I probably jumped into the junior elites, oh, probably in my last year of, like, under-18s. I skipped that and sort of just went to the junior elites. So, yeah, so you're doing well in the junior elites. And then what's that jump like going up from junior elites to senior elites now that you've done a like a sprint distance against an elite field and a middle distance and also a long distance on an elite distance course oh yeah i found it not 
not too bad, but I found the long, like, that was a decent jump up because it was sort of like, um, like you might make like a bit of a mistake and suddenly you're end up being out there for two hours instead of the like 70 minutes or so for the uh, under 20s. And so that was pretty, pretty tough. Um, and then like the sprint, I'd sort of used to racing that we sort of race you older guys as under 20s. Um, the only difference is that everyone's a lot faster and yeah. And then the middle sort of similar to the sprint as well. Yeah, so I think that is a theme I remember as well. The the first few times that I did long distance, um, when I was uh, around your age or maybe a little bit younger, I remember just being totally flattened, and it just requires a few more uh, years of training to get on top of it. But of course, the sprint distance, yeah, you're there's not such a massive physical difference between junior elite. Maybe no difference. You might even have been racing the same course uh, as a junior elite compared to the senior elite. So yeah, it's mainly that long distance, say it's a, it's a big step up. So have you had any thoughts about yeah, like ch changing your mind about um, your interest in long distance having done it? Do you think it's now achievable? Um, no, I, I enjoyed the long distance, even though I was out for <laughs> two hours plus, but um, yeah, I found like I definitely had the fitness and all that it's just like um as long as i sharpen up a bit on my nav um it should should be a lot better but no nah, i definitely enjoying it cool yeah well that, that's pretty encouraging uh what else are you uh, focused on for the year ahead um well my goals or yeah goals for a sport in general um well i I do a bit of running on the side of orienteering as well. And so I've got a few goals for like the upcoming track season, uh, hoping maybe to go under 14 minutes 30 for a 5K potentially. Um, and then just uh, try and place well at nationals cross country later in the year. And then um, hoping to maybe make World Uni orienteering team oh, yeah. if COVID pending and my trial well. So yeah, wow, for four, yeah, forty thirty is going pretty quick. That would definitely make you one of the fastest um, orienteers on 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 the road. Do you, do you know what kind of numbers you're knocking around at the moment? When did you last uh, do it? Five okay. k at the moment. I did last December was fourteen fifty five. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, th th that's definitely pretty good. And I know, I think Tim's going a bit faster than that at the moment, but a lot of us have kind of struggled when, once we get into those low 15s. So yeah, that, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, there are a few, a few people at the moment who are really pushing the, the speed up. I think that's one thing that each of cohort of athletes has gotten better at actually is um, at least the, the top few have, just been faster and faster in each, not generation, but, you know, little batch of four years that we keep coming through. So that's a, that's a standard that's, you know, always been improving. So 
yeah, it's, it's definitely impressive seeing you guys uh, run that fast. And that, that's on the track we're talking about. Yeah, on the track at the moment. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for sharing some time and good luck for the year ahead. Oh, cheers. Look, I mean, one thing that stands out about Ronan, I don't think you'll disagree with me, Gina, is that this is 5K time. Um, you mentioned when you were talking to him that the time, like each sort of like sort of five-year group of orienteers seems to just drop that time lower and lower. Um, dare I ask you what your 5K PB is? Uh, it's 15, 15.30. So not only even in the same same game as Ronan. Oh man, I'm not. I don't even. Do I have to? Tell, I don't even want to tell you mine. I'm not even. I'm not even in the 15s. So Ronan's like. I feel a lot better about being sprinted off by him at national relays at up at Northwest. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's um. He's certainly got wheels, doesn't he? Yeah, he's definitely got legs uh, for sure. And uh, we we see what happens when you combine those legs with really good navigation, and that's I think where Joe Lynch is at at the moment. He's very similar to uh, Ronan on on the track, actually. Uh, maybe mm. slightly slightly faster, but he holds it together at like elite level navigation. So I think that's why Joe Lynch is at the top in New Zealand at the mm. moment. Now Ronan and Joe pull put a lot of time on someone like yourself in a flat track race. No disrespect intended, <laughs> but that wasn't the case in the sprint at Oceania. The gap wasn't that big. Now. We thought it would be good to have a bit of a reflection on this course because there's a few elements of it which maybe show why the, the slower runners amongst were able to keep up with guns like Joe and Ronan. Do you have a map for us? Yeah. So I, I thought this, this course was interesting. In a way, it was kind of compromised. Uh, they had to change the area last minute. So it was a really stressful time for the organizers, but they pulled this together and I thought it was really interesting. Um, if you look at each leg, each leg doesn't really seem that hard to uh, just one leg at a time. And the whole, whole course kind of seems like a non-event from that perspective. But when you realize how close together these controls are and how twisty and turny the course is and how many rails there are out in the terrain. So you've got to, you know, go, go wider and be turning quite quickly uh, around all these corners. It feels very full on when you're out there. There's also a lot of controls out there. I, th- I think they might've been pushing the boundaries of the rules a little bit to get some of these controls in, in the right places, uh, get some of these controls so close together. And there's also a lot of other people out there because the whole course is so compact. So it was a very hectic and, dare I say, it, stressful time out there doing a series of legs, none of which is really that difficult. And a lot of people mispunched, especially in the, the elite fields, which is interesting that more uh, of the elite runners were mispunching than the general, I think kind of the average of the other competitors. So, yeah, what's going on there? I think it's a combination of people going really hot into a course that requires a lot of very frequent attention to the map. There's a lot of small decisions to be made, a lot of trivial decisions, but they have to be made. You've got to choose. Mm, yeah, the map. Go. I mean, it sounds from what you describe, it sounds like they just really ramped up the intensity. They've got numerous short leagues from the start, loads of people out there, lots of direction change. What, what do you think that an orienteer can do, a competitor can do to help 
address that kind of sensory overload of all those factors? Yeah, I think concentration helps, but how can you concentrate in such a stressful time? It's kind of like a chicken and egg situation. You need to concentrate. And what do you concentrate? Yeah. And what do you concentrate on? It's that whole don't just yeah. navigate harder. We need something we can yeah. something we can actually focus on that's constructive, right? Yep, absolutely. And I felt like I was really fast to slot into a groove of just asking myself, what am I looking for next? Looking up into, into the terrain to see it and then back at the map, what is going to come up after that? And just going stepping stone, stepping stone, stepping stone for whole time. And I never really opened up i never really started running really fast at any particular time it just having having a smooth race eventually caught up with me and i started to hurt a bit in the last few minutes so i thought how do you train for this well you've got mm. to set some pretty extreme training exercises to familiarize yourself with that you have to do control picking style sprint courses which is not often what we do we often focus on the big decisive route choices and these really awkward route choices and kind of plan for that. But no one is really planning for, in terms of training, no one's really preparing themselves for a sprint race that just has lots of little twisty, turny, awkward uh, kind of avenues and gaps and decisions to be made like this. So mm. get out there, get your local sprint map, even a compromised area and just set some gnarly little uh, sprint sprint interval loops that you can do. Um, it doesn't have to be a, an amazing sprint terrain, but if you do set lots of controls and that really overdrives that in, intentional, that uh, attention uh, and concentration on that process, then I think you'll uh, find yourself handling these areas well. And at the finish, no one felt like they were smashing it. Everyone just felt like they were either like survived or they lost. That was basically. Should it. we take that a step further and say, okay, so you need to train this. You need to go out there and you need to practice doing this. But how do you, you mentioned you've kind of found a kind of speed that suited you and allowed you to concentrate. What can we use to help us find that place? What do we, what should we fall back on to set our pace in this terrain? if it's not our running speed. Yeah. So I always have this little thought loop going on about what is my next stepping stone? What is my next handrail? And the only times that I start speeding up is when I've been able to answer what is my next stepping stone and the next and the next, and maybe got to four or five stepping stones in the bank, you know, in the buffer. And then maybe I'll start to open up. So only, only then could I focus on running speed? And until that time, I'm just trying to answer that simple question about what is the next handrail or stepping stone that I need to add to the, to the buffer. Okay, cool. That, I mean, that, I think that's workable, right? That's uh, something you can practice. You can go and set these, these really tight stacked legs, which are really compact and have lots of direction change, but you need to be really tight on your basic planning and you need to stick to your gardens and go back to those real basics of handrails mm. and stepping stones and make sure you're taking them off in advance. And if you can't have them in advance, you're going to get in that situation where you lose map contact and ultimately risk mispunching like many of the elite field did. Yeah, that's right. And just for um, just to clarify, there was a map flip. So 
there wasn't quite as many control circles mm-hmm. on the map uh, just for the for the viewers who, who weren't there but it was still very hectic now there's another element to this as well and it's one thing we're going to I mean, it's relevant in sprint, but this also comes into a long distance as well. You don't just have the mental fatigue play into this. You've also got physical fatigue. You've got matches burned from the distance you've run, the temperature of the day, you're becoming glycogen deplete. Um, Your brain requires energy after all. And we need to not just think about how can we control our speed in these really typical difficult situations in terms of speed but how can we do it in situations where we're where we're physically exhausted where we're running into the limits of our endurance system talk me through that how it sounds like there were some examples of that happening in the long distance yeah there were there were a few examples and obviously in a long distance and tough terrain there's so many things going on at the same time that it's hard to know what what the precise cause of uh, any kind of issues are, but I think we can take a look. Uh, just concentrating the uh, the GPS is here. Uh, there's a bit of crossing over here, so we'll just wind wind them back a little bit. So obviously, there's a lot of people coming up to three from a number of different directions, and there's no direction into three that isn't ruthless. I'm coming in from the top, and I'm bashing through like head high Matagari and people are coming in up the hill and it is so steep. The five meter contours up there and they're coming through Lovers um, Macrocarpa. So they're getting sticks in their eyes up the steep hill, but no one's in a good place. Basically no one's in a good place. Um, and basically a decent, a decent chunk of us then totally blew number four. Um, and number four as well was just very rough terrain. We're all cooked. It's also hot. And just a number of us who have all been going fine up until now, just kind of cook number four. And we're um, at number three. This is number three and four of a long yeah. distance. Yeah. So you get these points where, yeah, you're you just... you pull up short? You've made a parallel error. <laughs> yeah, I have, I've made, I have made a parallel error. Oh, man, but, I mean, it was... It's, it's like an unforced error where you're just getting kind of, or sorry, it's not as unforced. It's like semi-unforced where you're, you know, it just seems like I made a parallel error out of nowhere, but I'm pretty cooked and I'm bashing. Like it's, it's tough going. And so that's ripe, a ripe opportunity for getting your brain in a different place to your feet on the map. Okay, so this is a problem. This is something which we see happen in races. This course has been super well set because they've put a, a difficult physical challenge into a control and then followed it up with a number of technically difficult legs. Mm-hmm. So the course yeah. has done an excellent job here of trying to exhaust the runners, put them into the red physically, and then, like you say, a forced error, an unforced error, whatever you want to call it, um, the course has got the better of of you because it's asked mm-hmm. it's asked you to exert yourself too much physically so how can we mitigate the risk of this how can we a spot these traps when they're coming in a course yep. and b what can we do about them yeah so spotting them requires experience and requires discipline as well because you do have to when you spot 
you know, a, a, a place in a course like this where you can see that the navigational risk is high and coinciding with that, the physical challenge is, is high, that there's the information is all there on the map. But I think we're so focused on just trying to like win each leg all the time that we're not looking for how do I not lose this leg? And even those of us that are looking, that are more experienced and are looking for where is the trick to not lose this leg, we often see it and don't want to know about it. Like we're kind of in denial about our, our vulnerabilities there. And so, yeah, that that's definitely where I'm at with my long distance orienteering. In, in theory, I can get everything correct, but then on the day, I still make these decisions that kind of defy strict logic they're like a bit too just overly optimistic about my chances here. So it's, so it's, it's, it's about taking the risk. So it's about, I, I, from what you're saying, it sounds like what we need to do is we just need to be a bit realistic and say, it's normal that we're going to feel tired. <clears throat> we should maybe in not in every course, but in some courses there'll be instances where we see a golly, that's a big hill. I'm going to be pretty worked when I get into that control I need to intentionally choose a safer route choice on the next leg. Yep. And just looking at it from, I know this is easy for me to say here, and you never want to use a fence when you, you think, oh, I won't use a fence when I'm running a 21E course. But yeah. you've got that, <laughs> if you aim off a little bit right or a little bit left between three and four, you've got a beautiful rundown fence there that you can use to guide you into the control. So whether or not you exit and you say, all right, I know I've climbed a lot, but I'm going to climb a little bit more out to the open. I'm going to pop over this yep. next spur and I'm just going to cross to this fence and I'm going to use that to find my control. You've got a very, like a, a an orange level leg, really. Um, and you're minimizing the risk. Yep. Who, so yeah, it's sort of hitting, I would, I would be kind of going where Jonty's gone. Although the GPS yep. doesn't work completely. Yeah, the, there, the, the GPS I, were actually not very that, that close in terms of absolute location. This whole this yeah. whole map actually, which is which is not great. So it's hard to know exactly where people went. But yeah, yeah, I agree. But in order to do that, you have to overcome uh, this acknowledgement of I guess your own imperfections about uh, how skilled you actually are, um, and that that takes time and it it takes a lot of, I think, self-analysis to be really in touch with where your strengths are and where your strengths aren't. Mm. I'd say, so we talked a bit about hills and this course lends itself really well to hills. The other danger zone in a lot of New Zealand maps is uh, sand dune pine forest where you have a road leg. You open it up on the road, you hit your attack point and turn off into the detail and then you just can't compute the terrain because mm -hmm. you're probably your your speed change is one thing but then it's also the fact that you've got all the lactic acid kicking around that's inhibiting your ability to think straight so i think if there were you mentioned experience but i'd say two common traps are controls following steep climbs and controls following road sections what yeah. do you reckon would you add anything to that list oh yeah yeah and just if it's a hotter day just not just knowing that the risk is higher across the board um, mm -hmm. And if it's a longer race, just knowing at the end, the risk is going to be higher than what it was at the start of the race. And just being really honest to yourself, because there's no one else out there to be honest to. It's, it's really is just you and 
yeah, you and your own, you know, predispositions at, at that, that point in time. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a great challenge. And the only way to train this, I think is obviously knowing the truth about this and, but then you've got to go out and actually put yourself in the situation and practice having discipline on these long distance races. So you need to enter the races basically to, um, to really train this. And I think that's why we see long distance orienteers getting better and better for many years uh, because there's a lot mm. to absorb from just doing the races, right? It's very hard to put yourself in a training situation to replicate the exact same stresses there. Mm. Right. So I guess to like summarize that, that's kind of, we've got some sprint learnings and we've got some long learnings. We've said in sprint racing, don't just use your leg speed, be the determinant of your speed. Think about going back to basics. If you're in terrain where you're feeling like you can't be three, four stepping mm -hmm. stones or handrails ahead, then you need to moderate your speed so that you can keep that buffer. Yeah, and also um, I'd and add in, in training, like practice that with ridiculous courses. Yeah, so you need to do that and you need ridiculous training sessions. So that's our sprint takeaways. And in the long, we're trying to say uh, it's important to factor in physical factors as well as navigation difficulty to your route choices and the way you approach course. And sometimes you need to realize and, and have a bit of kind of self-understanding that you're going to be uh, completely worked, gassed, whatever you want to call it, mm. and need to make some more basic navigation choices in order to not lose the race. Yep. Um, Spot on. Yep. Cool. Now you've got a bunch of tabs open, which are related yep. to some news from New Zealand and around the world in relation to orienteering. So what have you got? Yeah, let's get into it. So uh, we've had some uh, developments coming through with uh, the sprint orienteering um, standards at the moment. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely go into those a little bit. Uh, this is the, the, this document that I um, am linking to here is I think the first, first of its kind from IOF previously, they've only put out just the standards, the specs, basically, this is how to map. Whereas now they're getting a bit more in depth. It takes time. It takes more resources, uh, but they've gone into a lot of these complex urban areas and had some, some really good discussion with examples on how to kind of learn this, the style of, of mapping um, especially with the new urban symbols, which we'll go into in a second. But uh, before we get into that stuff, I, yeah, I just wanted to reflect on that. IWF has been a lot more supportive now uh, for mappers. And so this is really cool to see like really good examples of how you would use a lot of the, the new symbols. Cool. And ONZ has a mapping committee as well who stay abreast of all this stuff too. Yep. Yep. That's right. There's even a, there's a group, right? A Facebook group mm -hmm. for people who are interested. New Zealand orienteering mappers yep. with yep. hunting out has lots yep. of this interesting stuff on it. All right. That's right. Cool. So this is the, the standard that was um, being released now. It's an update to the 2019 uh, sprint standard. Ice. What are we calling this? Ice, <laughs> ice, ice brom. brom. Yeah, I think ice we just brom. say I ice like brom. Um, ice brom. Good. It's, it's pronounceable. Yeah. And uh, there's some changes. So you know, this, this is a bulletin. It amazed me when they changed the symbols in 2019. 
a number of people who are just not quite as, you know, aren't hanging out on World of O or on um, AOTC on Facebook or whatever, just don't really get wind of, of the changes. And then they come to a map and the out-of-bounds symbols actually changed in 2019. They they got rid of the dark, the dark olive. Remember the the black green, mm-hmm. the dark olive that that disappeared for a while. And we've been living for a few years with uh, vegetation fight being the out of bounds symbol on sprint orientation maps. And <laughs> they've kind of capitulated and gone back again. It's not the, the area same. that shall not be entered. <laughs> yeah. So they've now got simple four one one uncrossable vegetation, which is not the same as the old black green we called it. Uh, it's just a darker, it's a darker green, but it's not olivey kind of, it doesn't have that olive tone to it. It's just a dark green, a combination of green and black colors. And that is now the uncrossable. Um, are, they saying, are, there, are these are these symbols the hybridized symbols? So you can have marshy, indistinct marshy on rocky ground. Yes, that's what this table is showing. It's just the, the combination of all the different colors and the combinations that you can and can't Used used together, so that's what the crosses are. Things you should never see combined uh, combined together. Open sandy ground and a rocky crossable body of water. I like that. It's very specific. Yeah. So this green is new. So that's a big bulletin going out. And the other thing that's new that we haven't seen yet, but I'm really excited to see it, is the uh, passable two level two level passable symbol. So there's a color. It's this far right column here combined with a white diagonal stripe, quite a fine white diagonal stripe. Mm-hmm. And the, the base color, that's the base mapped level, say paving in this case up here or open land, or maybe it's water. You know, you could have an underpass under like a public water feature, like a pond. So you can have all these combinations and the white stripe just helps to highlight where the underpass is, which you might recall from some sprint maps you've done in the past, the underpasses are just mapped with these little black dots. You might remember the mm. Auckland University um, situation where people weren't really clear where it came out and people didn't even see it. That's the main issue because you're just looking for these little black dots. And so now I'll zoom out and we'll see some map examples of what what the, uh, the mapping uh, should look like of of these areas um, here we go here we go so this this is what uh this is a very small example but there's two things now to help us with the uh, identifying underpasses we've got these little black triangles that show the the entrance and exit ways to these uh, under the terrain areas and we've got the white diagonal stripes and of course the little black squares were always the underpass mm-hmm. symbol but now we've got three things instead of just one to help us identify these features that are really critical for root choices but visually never really stood out on the map so if that's interesting to you and you're a mapper then definitely flick back to uh, this guide that you can get uh, on iof because they really go in depth on all these crazy situations. And we touched on one in our, uh, one of the previous nav chats with that example from Canada with those crazy underground route choices. So yeah, definitely time to get our heads around 
that in the new standard. Mm. These little triangles, that's a, just a, a new symbol. So interesting. Orange. I think it helps visibility, doesn't it? Yep. Mm, a lot yep. to lots to take in. I need to probably start to stay with that too. Yep. So what's your what do you what do you got next? So next we'll jump to the new mountain bike orientation symbols. Uh, so this wrong. might be interesting for you because I know you do a bit of uh, MTBO. Uh, they've got some cartography examples, but I wanted to get into this. Have you seen this orange before? No. Yeah. So this is this is new. So what they're trying to do here is acknowledge the reality that in some uh, in some regions and some parts of the world, it's generally there's like a local rule that you can cross through uh, yellow. You can ride your bike over open ground. Um, but in many areas, it's not. And they've tried to come up with a rule that just makes it a whole lot more obvious about where you can and can't go because obviously some areas might have open fields that you can bike across, but some open fields that you can't bike across because of some other private property rules or something. And they, they might both be mapped similar because they're both grass, but some across and some are not. So that's what the, the orange shows that you are permitted to ride there despite other yellow areas in the terrain uh, being illegal to ride. Mm. And if, yeah, and if all of the terrain is um, allowed, then it, it's a, more about focusing on adding the out of bounds stripe to areas that you're not allowed to go on. So it's just less assumptions mainly making it more explicit about where you can and can't go. So there's the, a whole bunch of these new kind of orange symbols that are, uh, cool. are squeezed in and they really do stand out on top of the terrain um, telling you this is the most important piece of information is that you can go on this orange strip, even though it's just grass or it's just, yeah, some, some other tracks. Um, and they also did, there's a, a good example that I noticed in here somewhere of uh, them mentioning like areas under the pine forest, like a skills mountain bike area, for example, where there's lots of little trails here and there yep. and maybe like dirt jumps and, and stuff like that, where the whole area is generally rideable, but it would just be mapped as white, which is generally unrideable. I mean, like you're not a, like certain regions and certain races, you are not allowed to ride your bike under white forest. Mm. But if it's a skills area, yep. then yeah, you should be able to ride through it. And so that's why there's symbols like this orange, um, orange, but in forest. Um, yeah. Or you'd be using these orange tracks. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what there was an example in here. Um forested area permitted to ride so yeah there's there's some new things some new innovations i think to uh, make mountain bike orienteering a bit nice. better okay so that's some geeking out on that let's geek out on some of the maps we touched on in some of our previous episodes here's an article from world of o concluding the courses of the year yeah. Uh, from 2021 okay walk one again uh, the walk races always get so much so many resources thrown at them that it's not surprising to see them kind of near the top each year it's a privilege to run on a walk map because you know you're on like the, the best map you'll probably run on in your entire life i just can ref the one times i've been lucky enough to run on them you know 
the green is like perfect you know you're like oh actually yes that is those little blocks of green that is a paler green and that is a darker green they're like perfect yep and the mapper here was given a lot of um, kudos actually for doing such a good job of the area i thought the course was maybe a bit track heavy um i would have liked to see more route choices that were some more optimal route choices that involved more time in the terrain uh, that was that was my critique but obviously a, a lot of people liked it um, as mm -hmm. far as the, the people who vote for vote for this kind of stuff so it obviously threw some big wide route choices in which is what we love for the the long distance so um, that was cool the area sounded amazing uh, another um, course that was uh, on on the, the winning winning list was this middle distance from World Cup in Italy mm. Uh, I really like the look of this one. Oh, oh, man, so good. oh man, look at this stuff. Uh, just amazing. And I really like the course as well. I love these uh, short legs in the detail and then this longer leg where you really have to change your thought process. It's really about risk management as opposed to uh, fi fine navigation and distinctive feature spotting. And then it goes back to some fine navigation again. And it's flicking between these two modes. And then if you haven't got your um, stuff together because of the short legs, then you get thrown into 14 and 15, which is like a really critical long leg to be um, on top of. Uh, yeah. So I, I thought this was super cool. And amazing, amazing. Probably course. my, probably my yeah. favorite out of, out of the, uh, yeah. the, the top ones here. Yeah. It's just really cool. And of course the walk sprint um, also made it onto the winning list. And I think that's possibly fear as well. Uh, this is pretty unique. Uh, Innovative. I'd think they'd say like using the, they, they dealt with the multi-level stuff and it was a good challenge in an area of terrain that at first glance looks pretty average. Yeah, that's right. So the multi-level tunnels, oof, it doesn't help that GPS is going through those tunnels, yeah. uh, but just ha handling yeah, where you can get through. So now you can see uh, what these new symbols um, would look like. They, these were in use at uh, World Champs, although they weren't using the triangles back then because the little entrance to the underpasses, the triangles, that's a new innovation. You can see how it stands out. It's quite nice. Cool. Nice. Cool. So we had some uh, sad news, obviously, with uh, some races getting canned. Um but yeah, jump to the first uh, Super City Sprints postponed and uh, the Northern Region Champs cancelled. So that's disrupted, obviously, a few people's plans, including my own. Um, but if you, are, if you are in Auckland and you're interested in going to Europe this year or some future years, uh, Cam Delisle is on the buzz and he's organising a chat, uh, which is really nice of him. And uh, you can uh, head over to uh, this event page, uh, here or on uh, his his Facebook page or uh, Auckland Orienteering Collective, and yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, just get get chatting, hear some stories, get inspired, and he's also organising some uh, training weekend over Waitangi. Uh, even though there's no racing, uh, we can still run training events, no problem. So uh, that's great, um, nice one, Cameron, for trying to keep the momentum just as everyone else is kind of feeling down disappointed yeah for sure nice mm. 
Foceania went ahead. Yeah, Foceania. So we've already talked a little bit about these courses, but yeah, I just wanted to reflect a little bit on the enjoyment of having everyone together and going through the whole process with like quarantine and some of us getting some world ranking points. That's useful, and just how that often for some of us is really valuable. Those of us who really like racing and Mm. are trying to pursue personal boundaries. Uh, just to have the whole setup going for us means a lot. And if we don't get that practice, then we just kind of go off the boil, I think. So uh, ha- having a well-organized race with with entertainment and uh, yeah, like commentary and stuff and lots of people standing around the finish line is really means a lot, I think, for the, for the elite fields and I'm sure for, for everyone um, else who loves to... Uh, just kind of get involved in, in the environment a bit more. Uh, this is the long distance, which was a really tough one. This was just under two hours for me. I had a long day. Um, Matt Ogden just swept the floor with us and was just miles off the front. And yeah, I, I wanted to, um, I came into this race not feeling great physically. And so I biased really heavily towards taking some, some wide route choices uh, so here, here's an example here of a lot of us getting lured wide to 12 and really missing out big time on. Uh, oh man, you just go take the meters. Yeah, you, you do. And the trap is for a lot of us was we looked at this hill here and thought, oh, that's a lot of contours. It, 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 it is probably the same number of contours on the uphill side of the lake which is wrong. That's, that's incorrect. There's only eight contours going up and there's 16 contours going down. The control is actually the stream that you cross here is actually quite high on the slope. So mm-hmm. that was a trap for, for us who were a bit tired, wanting to find a way out and just didn't do the maths, just didn't actually count the contours. Also soul destroying. Cause you go there and you're like, Oh man, I had to come back here and nine controls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was, it was very tough um, committing to that last loop. It did feel quite long. Um, I'd also resigned myself to groveling my way around that last part of the course. And I actually, it was some of my best orientation. Once I stopped trying to, once I let the stress go, I think. I actually Funny how that happened. Really, yeah, once I just realized it, like conceded defeat and submitted to, to my fate, I actually was a lot calmer and less, less rushed. And I did some of my best navigation in this last loop, which is quite, quite tricky controls, a lot of slope stuff, which I'm typically struggling with. So yeah, that, that, that was just so grueling and so tough. Um, yeah. Great stuff. Uh, this was definitely a highlight though. Flock Hill. When was the last time you were there? Oh, Upper Castle Hill will be bit. Last time I was on here was at Talk actually a few years ago. Um, <laughs> wasn't quite the same map, um, but probably a D squad camp, maybe like, Probably at least 10 years ago. Yep. That's right. That was the first time I was there. And the second time I was there was a high performance camp five years later. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I know, just such an amazing area that's hard, so hard to get uh, access to. Um, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that was just a blast the whole time. Uh, such a unique area. And yeah, we all thoroughly enjoyed it. Not all the courses got to go up here. Mm. 
yeah so this is that, this, yeah. this is the this is the gold that's the that little section of rocks is such cool a little bit of map so incredible yep uh, great. i've never actually been off the backside have you ever run on the backside no of the... no we haven't gone off to the east yet uh it's very steep at the top it's, it's very very steep on the other side yeah um yeah so it was pretty pretty tricky to see uh Know, Lizzie and, and Imogen make some make some decent mistakes uh, on this course, leaving the women's leading the women's race. Um, Lizzie's normally so sharp on these middle distances, and she came unstuck in a few places. So, yeah, very tricky, very tricky stuff. That's good. So yeah, good. it must be so stressful putting controls out. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the highlights was uh, this area in in here actually they've made they've spread the the gaps out a little bit just to make it you know visually obvious where the gaps are but there's such a squeeze like squeezing through um, mm. these little tunnels and in, in the rocks here uh, yeah very very cool navigation indeed nice yeah so hopefully some juicy ones for people in there some things people find interesting mm. so it might be a little bit more of a delay on any big regional events again um but club summer series seem to be running around the country um have you just as a final thing to think about jane have you can you think back to uh like do you have any like formative memories from your time doing summer orienteering or any things that stick in your mind oh, from yeah when i was really young for sure when i i couldn't tell the difference between summer orienteering and other orienteering it was just all kind of you know the, yeah this big big thing that my family did right so yeah i think i do have a lot of memories of me just being in a young orienteer i guess and just kind of identifying with it that that, that they're mainly my formative memories i never recall any sense of competence at that age I, I didn't really know what i was doing i just knew i identified with this kind of community so yeah yourself uh, I definitely have like a collection of vivid memories from when I first started orienteering of places like running on some of the cones around Auckland, which we're not allowed to do anymore, running in like places like Ambry Park and things like that, thinking that the orienteering was super difficult and super challenging, um, which I think skills have come a long way, but I think those maps still hold, like some of them have been updated and things, they still hold just as much challenge as they did back then. Um, so yeah, I... Um, got along to a Hamilton summer series this week and yeah, it's the uh, grassroots of the sport and I'm looking forward to more this summer. Yep. And urban row gains and other things like that. Um, mm. Yeah. It's, it's so nice to take part. Cool. Well, let's catch up next month and uh, we can bring another interview, some teaching points and some news from orienteering. Thanks yep. for the catch up. Cool. See you Tom. If you liked the show, please support it by sharing this podcast with one person who would benefit from it. The best place to find more content like this is at genebeverage.nz, where you can find years of training blogs, race reports, podcasts, and coaching videos. If you don't want to miss future episodes, I recommend subscribing to my newsletter by visiting genebeverage.nz or by following on social media, Perfect Flow on Facebook and Gene Beverage on Instagram. For Q&A, send messages to nav at perfectflow.nz.